Uh, we're continuing our searing, searing? <laughs> series this morning called Who I Am, looking at the character and nature of God and who we should be as image bearers in response to who God is. And lately we just finished wrapping up Exodus 34, really diving into God's character and what God's like. And of course, there is so much more we can talk about with God's character, right? That series will never end. There's always more insight and more uh, facets to God that we have not talked about just from Exodus 34, but those hit a lot of the big highlights. But if we were to only talk about God's character, we wouldn't be rounding out our picture of God, because if God is just has all these characters, he's just a great person, or he might be like a perfect therapist, right? But he doesn't have the ability to actually do anything about it. He doesn't have the ability to make everything right at the end of time. So that's what we're going to be diving into for the next few weeks, is looking at God's abilities. We're going to be looking at what God can do, and we're doing that by examining the three classical omni-attributes of God so we can get a fuller picture of who God is. So the first one is God's omniscience, which means that God knows everything. The next is God's omnipotence, which means that God can do anything. And the last is that God is omnipresent and that God is everywhere. And these abilities are what we're going to be having a deep dive into the next three weeks. And they're really important to talk about. When I was a student at Harding, me and two of my friends were walking across the front lawn and we noticed something interesting that made us stop and pause. We saw this little bird just kind of hobbling on the ground. It looked like it had a limp and it couldn't move, it couldn't fly. And we kept thinking, oh, this poor bird must have had its leg broken. Or maybe its wings weren't working properly. And we had this moral dilemma in front of us. Do we just keep walking and let what appears to be a suffering bird just die from being on the ground? Do we take it to somebody who knows what to do with it? Or do we put it out of its misery? So me and my friends were sitting around and debated this for about 20 minutes. This is a great ethics experiment. And one of my friends, we all decided the best thing would be to put it out of its misery. So what we did, one of my friends walks over to a little bit of ground nearby that has bricks by it, and he picks up a brick, and he walks over near the bird, and he, he gets a few practice rounds in just to make sure whenever he does it, it's going to fully, you know, take it out so it doesn't experience more pain. So he's just over here like, wham, wham, just like slamming a brick on the ground, and people I'm sure are just like, what is he doing? But one student walks over to us, and she looks at us, and she's like, what are you guys doing? I think suspecting what we were about to do, and we said, well, we, we saw this bird that just, like, it's suffering right here, and we thought the best thing to do would be put it out of its misery, and she's like, whoa, 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 don't do that. That is a baby bird learning how to walk, also learning how to fly. Its mom is right there in the tree watching it, and we were just like, oh. <laughs> we almost just killed this sweet, innocent little bird <laughs> because we thought that it was in pain and suffering. From our perspective, it seemed like okay, the best thing to do would be to take it out of its misery, right? But luckily, someone stepped in and saved the day for that little bird. But as humans, I think oftentimes this is how we think. We trust our perceptions or our own handling of the truth, and we oftentimes have no idea what we're doing. There is so much that we don't know about life. For example, even though technology has increased so much, 95% of the ocean is still unexplored. 
and unknown. That's very freaky to me. <laughs> Who knows what's lying under there, right? Or even though we've been to the moon, we still barely know anything about the universe, solar systems. We don't know much about Mars. I mean, there's so much we don't know. And scientists are still confused how adult men go to football games without a shirt, paint themselves blue in zero-degree weather. Like, there are a lot of mysteries that we just don't understand or can't comprehend, and this is true about God as well. I personally, I have tons of questions about God. I have tons of questions about how God operates in this world. And there's a lot we don't know about God, and there's a lot we don't know about reality in general. And I think in Scripture, a book that probably grapples with this question or questions God more than any is probably the book of Job. And what happens is God is presented with this idea that Job is only righteous. Job only follows you because you protect him, because you bless him. You remove that, you make him suffer, he's going to turn from you. So God allows Job to suffer. And we as readers might look at that and be like, why? Why would God do that? And Job and his friends are asking that same question throughout the book. Job's premise is that he's just, he hasn't done anything wrong, and God is unjustly punishing him, and therefore God must not be just. Job's friends work a little bit different and say that God is just, and he punishes people according to the things that they do, so therefore you must have sinned. You must have done something to deserve this. But they, like us, were working with very limited perspectives. We, we don't have the full picture of things. We don't know exactly why God is doing what he's doing. And it gets to a point where Job, in chapter 31, verse 35, he's fed up with God and he makes this bold statement. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. So he's asking God, show up. Explain yourself. Why are you making me suffer in this way? And maybe as a reader, we expect we're going to get a straightforward answer from God, right? We don't. What we get in chapter 38 through 41, we get four chapters of God just barraging Job with questions. And this is some of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. I love it. It is so, so good. So we're going to look at some of the highlights of chapter 38, again, for the sake of time. We don't have the time to read through all four chapters, but I love these chapters. So this is Job's or God's response to Job. In verse 1, it starts by saying, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know their paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. <laughs> I love that language there. What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert? 
to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt, talking about constellations? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness or satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food or whenever they're about to get smashed by three unassuming college students? But isn't this poetic language powerful? Like, every time I read this, it puts me in my place. And if you're somebody who struggles with pride, I want to challenge you to read these four chapters of Job every day. Because what God is doing here is showing how little Job actually knows. How little of a perspective he has. Who are we that we can barely remember what we had for breakfast think that we can instruct a God on how he should be. We who have little to no knowledge of reality cannot instruct a God who is omniscient. God is one who knows everything. His perspective is perfect and limitless. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows how many sand grains there are on every beach in this world. He knows how many stars there are in the universe. There is not a question that God doesn't know the answer to. And on a more intimate level, we see this in Psalm 139. This is what Mark read this morning, which, funnily enough, it's in this too. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God completely knows everything about us. God has searched us and knows us. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows the words we say before we say them. He knows everything. This can simultaneously be the most terrifying news or the most wonderful news. It's terrifying that God knows all the stuff we do. That includes all the bad stuff that we do, right? God sees us when we're sleeping. He knows when we're awake. He knows if we've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That song's really not too jolly, is it? Because there's a lot of bad stuff that we do. We don't want anybody to know the bad stuff we've done. We live in an age right now where we really value privacy. We're spending more and more on security. We are caring a lot more about where we give our information out because there's a lot of scammers out there. We only put the highlights of our life on social media, but we bury our secrets deep, deep down. And fresh off of Halloween, we're really a culture that likes to put on masks, metaphorically speaking, is what I'm primarily talking about. But the truth is that God sees past everything. God sees past our fronts, privacy, is a myth. There is nothing that is truly private. Nothing goes unnoticed. As Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, or aka being naked before God, before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
Standing naked in front of people, that's like a recurring nightmare for a lot of people, right? But this idea of we're going to stand totally exposed before God, everything we've ever done we're giving an account for, that's terrifying, right? and, And to some extent, I think that should scare us a little bit because Proverbs talks about the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Like, we need to take the Lord seriously. This is not something just to, you know, rub off your shoulder. But we have to also look at this in context. And there's so much, there's so much depth and beauty in Hebrews, and at some point in the future I'd love to do a sermon series on Hebrews because I would nerd out entirely. But, for the sake of time, I will not dive into all the nuances of all this, but if we read this in, in context, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And then it goes into something very encouraging. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. So though we are going to give an account of our sin, the one whom we are answering to is also our high priest, is also our mediator. The one who knows us completely is the one who is making an offering for our sins. And as other scriptures describe, he's also our judge. (laughs) He is our judge and our mediator, and the best news, this is where the good news omniscience comes in, right? The good news here is that since Jesus fully knows the experience of humanity, so he, know, he has the omniscience, right? But also he has the experiential knowledge of what it's like to be a human. He gets us. He knows how hard it is to say no to sin. He knows how hard it is to say no to temptation. He gets it, and he is going to be our advocate and our judge, <laughs> That's where the good news of this comes in. Because Jesus' perfect account makes our account righteous. One of humankind's greatest fears is that we are, the biggest fear is to be fully known but not fully loved for who we are. That we expose ourselves to people and they see the final product of who we are and they're like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't really want that. And that's why people can hesitate to be vulnerable or be real with one another because they're afraid of putting themselves out there only to get rejected by other people. And that's why we feel the need to wear this metaphorical mask. And anytime someone asks us how we're doing, we say good or fine without actually sharing what's going on in our lives. We don't want to put ourselves out there only to get rejected. But this is why God's omniscience, coupled with God's character, is so good. That God is one who fully knows us, yet fully loves us. Like, no way, right? There's no way God is that good. There's no way God knows everything I've ever done. That one thing that is so shameful, I can't even speak it. There is no way God sees that and still loves me. But he does. (laughs) That's why this is the good news of omniscience. He knows everything, and he empathizes. He sympathizes with us. He gets it. And his heart is one that is of compassion and mercy. God's omniscience makes God's love stand out even clearer. And that's why it's so important. So how does God's omniscience teach us to be as image bearers? The first thing is that we need to be people who trust and pursue 
God's knowledge and God's wisdom over anything else. And there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge, and that's primarily of practice or application, right? So, for example, the Pharisees, they knew a ton. I mean, they had the whole Torah memorized. That's pretty impressive. But they didn't have the discernment or the wisdom to know how to apply that in their life properly. So they would neglect the weightier matters of the law for more legalistic minor things. But God is one who not only has infinite knowledge, but he has infinite wisdom. He knows the right way to put that knowledge into practice in every single situation. That's why he's the perfect judge. And if God is one who knows all things like he does, and he has the heart like Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, a generous heart that if we ask, seek, or knock, he will give us the things that we need. That means he's going to give us the truth that we need. And that's actually in Scripture. The Holy Spirit's role is to guide us into all truth. That's a very important thing for us to realize, that God is wanting to give us his truth. Because God doesn't want us living in untruth. Because living in untruth brings hell into our lives. But living in truth brings heaven to earth. Satan is one who wants us to live in untruth. In scripture, he's described as the father of lies. Lying is his game. That's what he loves. And really what sin is, it's a distortion of something that's good. It's a twisting of something. On the, on the appearance, it might look like it's good, but if you live into it, whether quickly or over time, you're ultimately going to see that it doesn't have your best interests in mind. Sin's kind of like those medical commercials where it's like, hey, take this medication and your life will be better. And then there's that low, speedy voice that lists off like 80 side effects that could include death, that could, you know, just all the horrible things that come with it. Could you imagine a commercial for sin like stealing? Like, hi, I'm Bonnie, and I'm Clyde, and we like to rob banks. And it's been great for us. We've gotten millions and millions of dollars. That's why you should steal today, too. And then, like, the fine print comes in afterwards. But do know you could be creating a destructive habit for the rest of your life. Also, possible side effects could be getting double-crossed by your partner, facing a lifetime of uh, prison, or also death. <laughs> you know, whatever it would be, we don't often realize whenever we sin that it's going to harm our life. But the truth is that sin always comes with fine print. It always harms our life. So when God says is something, that something is good for your life, or other things are evil or foolish for your life, we need to listen. Even if what is said seems foolish to us. Because oftentimes God's wisdom looks like foolishness to us. I'm going to give you an example. So the battle of Jericho. Imagine being one of Israel's military leaders for a second, okay? And you're trying to figure out how are we going to get past these walls, right? Are we going to have someone sneak in and then let the gates open and we can rush in? Are we just going to shoot arrows over it? Like, what are we going to do? And then Joshua comes into the tent. He's like, all right, I was just spending time with the Lord. I got it. Here's the plan. So today, I'm just going to take a lap. Take a lap around the city. Okay, and then what? Next five days, we're just going to wake up, take another lap. Okay, <laughs> and then what? Uh, so seventh day, you're, you're going to want to stretch a little bit beforehand because we're going to take seven laps around the city. And then we shoot in arrows? 
no, no, no. Uh, the priests, they're going to blow trumpets, and we're all just going to yell, city's ours. I mean, I could imagine as a military leader or a strategist hearing that plan or that strategy being like, you know, I don't, I don't know how effective that's going to be. But God's ways are higher and different and oftentimes look like foolishness to us. Take, for example, fasting. Like, the world looks at fasting like, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you deprive yourself of food? Or it could be looking at um, the other thing that I had written down. <laughs> ah, yes. This is probably because I was trying to block this from my mind. Uh, turning the other cheek. <laughs> uh, turning the other cheek is also something that looks so foolish to the world. Like, why would you let yourself be a doormat? Why wouldn't you, like, fight against it, right? Or, for example, the concept of denying yourself. Like, that is such a foreign concept to our world, especially today. Like, why on earth would you deprive yourself of the things that you want to do? But there is good in all of these things. Even if God's wisdom may look like folly to us. But the truth is, our wisdom is folly to God. So even if we don't understand, even if we question where God is or why things are happening the way that they are, we need to trust that God's ways are better. God's ways are higher than our own, even if it doesn't make sense for us. And we need to trust that walking in the ways of God, even if in the moment it may seem really hard or it's not bringing the results that we want, that ultimately it's going to be what's best for us. So let's continually pursue and trust in God's wisdom and what God says about our lives over what other advertisements or influencers or TikTokers or whoever it may be may be talking into our life about. We need to trust in God's voice over the stuff we hear every day. Second, we need to accept our ignorance with wonder. There are tons of things that we don't know in life, right? Having ignorance about important things, particularly towards God, it can be a scary thing. But Whenever we have ignorance towards something after knowing what God's character is like, that God is one that delights in showing mercy, it changes that fear into a beautiful mystery. As I heard in a song lyric, out past the fear, doubt becomes wonder. I love that idea, that concept. And wonder is something I think we need to tap into more as Christians. Again, while I was at Harding, there was a huge snowstorm that hit. It was like 13 inches or something. Some of you from Bill Wright in the back, like 13 inches, that's nothing. Uh, but in, in Kansas City, 13-inch uh, snow was probably like every other winter. Like that, it's not like super uncommon. So every time I have looked at snow, it has been a hindrance. It's been something that requires work. It requires me to go shovel our driveway, right? It's not something that I look forward to anymore. But all of my friends at Harding, who were from the South, particularly Texas, were losing their minds. Like they had never experienced snow in their life. And they're running around with this like, childlike sense of awe and wonder, like diving in the snow, making snow angels, hitting each other with snowballs, making snowmen, all the things that you do. And I, and I look at them and I'm just like, why? It's just snow. I grew out of it. I grew out of that sense of wonder and awe. And it was kind of a slap in the face to me. How often do we do this? We take for granted the amazing things that are around us all the time. 
because we've grown out of it or we've matured and we, we don't take the time to really appreciate the beauty that surrounds us. And thinking about our ignorance, I think it's interesting that God didn't give us omniscience. I mean, as image bearers, we're supposed to be like God, but that's one way that we really aren't. We don't have full knowledge of everything, which is interesting, why, why God made it that way. Have you ever stopped to ask why? Personally, I think it would make life a lot more boring if we knew everything already. There would be no more discovery. But also, I think God knew that we as humans could not handle that knowledge. Take a second and empathize with God for a second. So as I was flying one day into Dallas, I was looking out the window of my plane, and I looked and saw so many neighborhoods everywhere. And I, I sat and thought about it for a second. I was like, God knows the thoughts of every single person in all these houses. He knows what they are doing currently. Not just that, he knows everything they have done and will do in the future. And then if you take a second to zoom out even more, he knows that with all of the universe. Like, that just makes me drop my jaw <laughs> when I really think about this, right? But think about the dark side of this. Think about how much evil God has to witness. I bet most of the greatest and darkest sins have probably been undiscovered. People don't know anything about it. But God does. He sees all of it. And he sees it all on a universal scale. <laughs> that says a lot more about God's patience, doesn't it? About God being slow to anger. Could you imagine having omniscience for a second? Could you imagine knowing the thoughts of what every person you talk to thinks about you? That would be terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I know some people said they want the, the superpower of reading people's minds. Not me, ever. Because we were not made to know everything. But I think today, in today's world, we can empathize with God maybe more than any point in human history. Because right now, we can get global news on our phone in an instant, and it's always doomsday. It's always worst case scenario, right? We're able to track what others are doing in their lives through social media, or some act, apps actually track their location. You can see like, oh, all my friends are together without me. <laughs> oh no. So all that does is create envy and the fear of missing out. Though we have continually gained more and more knowledge, it's not a surprise to me at least why there have been an exponential increase in mental health issues. Because there's some stuff we're just not supposed to know. So in one breath, yes, we need to be informed about the evils that are happening in our world. Like I talked about last week, we need to be people who are partnering with God and seeking justice. But if you're anything like me, getting overwhelmed with all the headlines in this world it can add a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety in my life. And if I so overemphasize or I'm so invested on headlines that are far away from me or are in different countries or whatever, it makes it very easy for me to miss the opportunity to be present with my neighbor right in front of me. We need to make sure that we are present with God and present with one another instead of so living in what else is happening in the world or the doom of our nation or the future of our world, whatever it is. Yes, we need, to be, we need to be open to that. We need to see those things. But we can't do that to the detriment of missing our neighbor right in front of us. 
So let's learn to trust a God who knows what's best for us. Let's seek his wisdom through wonder-filled curiosity. And let's accept that there's a lot that we don't know, and that's okay, and that's intentional. And though we may be foolish in our thinking, let's pursue God's wisdom and lean not on our own understanding. And I think the best way for us to end today is how Paul ends Romans 11, where he just kind of throws his hands up in mystery, and he doesn't get it, as all of us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have searched us and you know us, which can kind of be scary um, to be that vulnerable before somebody, that you know all the stuff that we've ever done, you know what we're going to do today, you know what we're going to do the next few days, and you know all of our sin. But we know that you're a God of mercy, one that delights in showing mercy. We know that even though you fully see us, you still fully love us. And that's hard for us to comprehend because we can't do that ourselves very well. Because we're very hard on ourselves. We're critical of ourselves. But whenever we let your voice pour over us, all that stuff, all the voices that bombard our head every day fade away because your word is truth. Your voice is truth in our life. Help us to be a people to discern and give us the wisdom to hear your voice above every other voice, above all the noise that we hear every day. And help us trust in your wisdom and lean not on our own understanding because we don't understand. We have a limited perspective, but we know that you, have, you know it all. And help us to trust in that. We pray this in Jesus' name.